You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and not Rick. Rick is currently indisposed and uh, but alive. Until further notice. The topic at hand is delighting fans. There, there was a situation that kind of arose this week, and it made me really think about how do you delight fans of your Kickstarter or of your project, you know, before Kickstarter, during Kickstarter, after Kickstarter, you know, what I, I thought back to what actually moved the needle for me and my fans and things I tried that didn't really work so well. Would love to share that here. But first we have lots of news. And now it's time for nerd news. Disney will launch an all new card game to go up against magic and Pokemon. And it's not Disney. It's actually Ravensburger. That's launching this card game. It's called Lorcana. And in essence, it is, there's this gigantic library that has every Disney intellectual property <laughs> character. And so if you wanted to build a deck with Luke Skywalker and Mickey Mouse, you can do that. And oh, no. I don't, yeah. So I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but I'm pretty sure that, I don't know, like if you think about the type of people out there that play collectible card games or training card games, I really do think this has, this will hit a market that is not currently, you know, hit by magic. I think that, People that play magic might look at this and say, is this competitive? But there's, you know, is it competitive enough for me rather? And, you know, this might be more of like a wingspan play where people, you know, really love the theme and want to play because of the theme. And, you know, it could have a lot of cross reach into people that just love Disney and don't necessarily, you know, don't, wouldn't call themselves tabletop gamers. I I see it overall as a really great thing because people could get into tabletop games by starting to play this and finding other people to play with and so on and so forth. I think that it's a really good thing for friendly local game stores that need something to sell over and over again. It'll definitely take up, I think, a night of, you know, it's it's Friday Night Magic, maybe, I don't know, Sunday afternoon Lorcana. I'm not sure. It's interesting because in my local game store, the owner actually hates trading card games simply because of the toxicity that can exist in the community where things can get really aggressive. And he's had like fights in his store. He's had fights outside of his store. And so he was actually like thinking, should I just ban Yu-Gi-Oh? Because obviously Yu-Gi-Oh attracts a a younger audience Uh than, um, you know, Magic the Gathering. So he was thinking, should I just like ban Yu-Gi-Oh cards? So I don't know. Would you allow your daughters to play this card game? Simple. First of all, simple fix for your uh, friendly local game store guy, he just needs a trap door on the outside of his shop so that as soon as the nerds start fighting, he can just hit the button and say, you've activated my trap card. And then they fall into the trap. That would solve that problem for sure. But um, I mean, you know, I think as far as Disney as a general thing is actually not as big a deal as you would think in my house you know, I, I say that because I have five daughters in, in my house and uh, 
it's just not as big of a deal. So it's not that I, I mean, if they wanted to play it, I would be open to looking at it and that kind of thing. But from a mechanics standpoint and that kind of thing, I don't know, but I do expect it to be an abomination for all Disney fans. Well, I'm a bit concerned with like trading card games for like young audiences simply mm-hmm. because it has this kind of addictive quality to it, which I don't know if their little child brains yeah. can comprehend. So I'm a little bit apprehensive of something like this targeted towards children. I think something like Magic the Gathering, which is, you know, mostly for adults is, is fine. But when you're sort of dealing with kind of booster packs and dopamine hits from opening up cards and throwing a bunch of, bunch of money at this, it's like, are we giving kids like crack cocaine here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, oh, it's definitely like that. I remember playing Pokemon. I was, I was uh, 14 years old when I started playing Pokemon TCG and 14 years old, no job. I have like five bucks allowance a week, which was not terrible. But um, at the same time, it was like, I've got to get a job because I need to buy these card packs, you know? And so, um, you know, I would work over the summer. I remember my first summer job was straight up so I could play Pokemon and like enter tournaments, have money to, to do stuff like that. And I remember just spending all the money I had on Pokemon so that I could just survive and be competitive and whatnot and trade well and whatever. And um, there were so many father son teams, you know, father, daughter, you, you name it, that were playing the games together. And I find that you look at a game like Magic, that game survives because people that have stable jobs are buying booster boxes when they come out and game stores like that's that's what happens so i i i would say little kids playing a lot of the time they'll probably not actually really even play the game they'll probably especially not competitively they usually just like play like trade the cards and decide that mickey is better than maleficent even though maleficent is the best card in the game or whatever it's like they just don't really play the game and that's yeah way that pokemon works a lot of the time at least so one thing this week you were featured on the board game binge podcast how was that yeah that was actually really fun had a, a really great time and i didn't I, what's crazy is i didn't realize that the board game binge was a thing uh before this month and turns out that they they do short format they, what they do is they interview industry experts and you know publishers board game designers for me that, you know, they interviewed me. I was a publisher and a marketer and whatnot. And we had a really great time talking and it went all sorts of very interesting places. It's, it's great for short format content. You know, if you need another podcast to consume, they have the board game binge podcast and I highly recommend it. And I was looking through their past episodes. A lot of their people they've had on the show have been our clients. So, you know, like, <laughs> there's like so many, like, oh yeah, that's our client. That was our client. That's our client there. That's, so that was pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah. But I totally recommend, I, I recommended Gabe Barrett of Robomon to, uh, to, to them for an interview. And they were like super excited. They want, if you, if you want to go to them for, for coverage, you need to have your Kickstarter funded. But other than that, I mean, it's, they're, they're looking for guests as well. So. So we just need to do a bit of a, a fact check because I think you did you made an error on the podcast that we probably should cover. I think you yeah. said that we only, we had only one. ever had one project fail. Yeah, 
And when you said that, I was like, oh, no, we don't need to correct Only that. Only one that I thought of at the time, but I, yeah, like four, five projects probably in, in our history. Yeah, it's not many, but it's, it's more yeah. than one. It's less than 10 and more than one. <laughs> so this week I was talking to Scott Pease of Snapchat Tactics. We're running the late pledge ads for his successful Kickstarter. Uh, really great guy, really great game. Um, we're talking about Backerkit and its ins and outs. And I learned something this week about Backerkit. Usually Backerkit works pretty well with the Facebook Pixel, so we've never really had any any problems. But for some reason, his account, the conversions weren't really being tracked. So he he informed me that you can use referral codes with Backerkit. This was not something that I realized you could do. Uh, it was humbling because I probably should have known about that. So um, shout out to Scott for pointing this out. Now I know about referral codes and it's something that we're going to start using on Backerkit because it's always good to have as many tracking points as possible. And I think it's it's good to be able to... Uh, so we'll include a, a sh- link in the show notes of how to do that. It is, to be fair, the referral codes are buried within their sort of arcane interface. You have to go to accounts, pre-orders, and then there's a, a, a pre-order referrals. You, there's a section there, so it is it is buried in there. But the the cool thing about the referrals is that you make them yourself, so you, you can name them whatever you want want, and you just kind of create them on the fly, and so it's it's very very intuitive. So that was um, a cool breakthrough. But then another thing, and this is all kind of connecting. I I discovered that within Backerkit you can create widgets. So we usually develop a landing page, and then from a landing page, we then send people to Backerkit. Now, the problem with Backerkit, this is something I, I spoke to with Scott, is the landing page that Backerkit cr- gives you is garbage. <laughs> it's just a really bad experience. It's not great. It's not very customizable. The information there isn't amazing. And on mobile, it's worse. So the mobile experience is worse than the desktop experience. At least on the desktop experience, you have a video that can play. There's no video on mobile. So what we looked into this week is when someone goes from an ad to the landing page, we then put a widget on the landing page. They hit the button and then it pops up the backer kit shop on the landing page. And they can they can check out, put in the information on our landing page and then complete the purchase, complete the order, which is super cool. It means that we can we don't have to use backer kit. We can just create our own landing pages and customize that user experience and improve the conversion rates. But then add on top of this, by, by looking at the widgets, I discovered a kind of like a hidden website within Backerkit when you sign up for them. It's called Overlay Pre-Orders. And essentially it's your, your Backerkit store, but with, without all the fluff. So it's basically all the, it's essentially just all the items. Now this is useful because this is what actually pops up during the widget. It, it's like this link that they obviously customize, but this is useful because on Facebook, we can create what's known as a user experience ad. And this is called a collection ad. And what this really is, is a mini landing page, but within Facebook. So the idea is that you you see an ad, has a video, has some images at the bottom. You hit that ad and then it opens up like this mini landing page, mini landing page, but within Facebook. And you can have more information like a landing page experience on Facebook with a button that you can then go somewhere. So what we've done for deliverance and I've now done for the Snapchat tactics is I've created that sort of landing page experience on Facebook. But when you hit that button, it then opens up this overlay pre-orders page. So it's almost, it takes you directly to the purchase event. So essentially less clicks to get, get an order. So that's something that we're, we're trying and experimenting 
but it's just been a really cool week of just discovering new ways of doing things. And I'm excited to share next week of how they worked out. That's fantastic. The overlay pre-orders thing is something that I just learned from you telling me this right now. It's, uh, and we'll include, we'll include a link in the show notes for people that want to look at it. But, um, you know, it's just your URL, you know, your backer kit, uh, URL slash overlay underscore pre-orders. And it's a really simple thing that can be used. Um, I'm guessing can be used very effectively in the right places. I love this actually, because it, like one less click means less thinking required. And we, we all know, you know, it's kind of a standard practice in e-commerce. The less clicks you require, the more money you make. Um, and that's, um, so the importance of this, I, I don't think it's possible to overstate the importance of your discovery. Yeah. So backer kit is a lot more versatile than originally I anticipated because you not only have the ability to create referral codes as you can do on GameFound, but you also have all this, these widget features, which you can incorporate into your own landing pages. I, I'm not sure if there are widget features on GameFound. If there is, please let me know. But I that's something that I hope to see GameFound develop as well, because I know you can do this on Steam. So when you're selling games on Steam, you can create widgets and you can get Steam products on your landing page pretty easily. And you can sell directly on your landing page. And that's something that we're thinking about as well. I will say, you know, overall, my experience with BackerKit as a pledge manager has been wonderful. My, you know, survey completions, I've, I've been able to, get 26% of my uh, of all the people that back the game to purchase add-ons which is a very i would say a standard number typically between 20 and 30% of your people would purchase add-ons and the, you know of your of your kickstarter backers would purchase add-ons if you had them you know things that were cosmetic upgrades or something like that but um, my pre-orders i've made 392 pre-orders since we closed our kickstarter so 392 additional sales, very effective. And generally we do this through our landing page. The, the bulk of them have come through our landing page. And then after that, our kickstarter.com referral link, probably people finding us there, but it's, it's pretty solid. Um, I would wager that GameFound is probably a superior browsing experience when it comes to uh, pre-orders, but uh, you know, BackerKit did fantastic. Great. So yeah, that's a lot of nerd news. So let's talk about delighting backers because it came to top of mind this week when I had a backer who backed at my deluxe edition. So there's the deluxe edition. And then the way that my terminology works at least is the deluxe edition is $89. And then you have the all in edition, which is um, $149 and includes all the cosmetic upgrades and that kind of thing. So this guy ended up getting uh, the deluxe edition plus one of the add-ons that come in the all-in, and he was at you know r- right around one hundred and ten dollars for his uh, pledge amount, and he said, just kind of off off the cuff for fun, I'd add the neoprene mat to my pledge level if you included a little league field in there. He's probably like a, a little league umpire or coach or or has a his, one of his kids in in little league baseball for those who aren't uh, familiar, and it just seemed like a good idea. And I had, you know, my, my artist is very awesome as far as if I, if I need him to do something, he'll get it done really quick. And 
he doesn't nickel and dime me because I don't nickel and dime him. So, um, you know, it was just something that I could do. And I was like, are you serious? I will add that thing right now. And, you know, he sent me a private message saying, okay, cool. We'll see. We'll see. And then, you know, 10 seconds after that, he upgraded his pledge to all in just trusting me, I guess. And, um, so <laughs> the very next day, I actually sent a message right away to my artist, uh, Yoan over in France. And he jumped on it right away. He just said, here's the rough edition of, a of a baseball field. And he, and he had a concession stand that said a bagel shop. And it was like, there's uh, an issue with the bagel. Like, I don't know how many bagel shops there are next to um, baseball fields, but I'm guessing not many. And so, we, you know, we changed that. And a day later, it was done. And I now have a little league field on my um, neoprene mat for from now until, you know, kingdom come. And I just thought it was a really fun opportunity to delight one fan you know if that one person was like he did this thing for me it didn't really take much effort on on my part to get it done it, it definitely took you know a little bit of time and my artist may have very well said yeah i, I need to charge for this because the neoprene mat artwork is done and so on but it, it was just an opportunity that i could give somebody something that is meaningful to them and the way that I've always treated, I, I try to treat people in a way that is when I have an opportunity to give a gift that is meaningful versus a gift that's like, you know, it's your birthday. Here's a hundred dollars. I would rather give something, a gift that might cost, you know, less money, you know, $20, I don't know, but it means more to that person personally. Um, whether it's due to the events of their life or whatever. Like I had a really cool opportunity to, to give. So Sean, you had your, your baby and we were like, dude, what is the most comfortable, awesome thing that you could possibly get when you're lounging around the house? And it's little sleepies pajamas. And <laughs> so we sent, I was like, we got to send a whole set to the family. And it was, it was, just, I, I don't know. Did that delight you? Yeah. Well, you know, cause you asked for the sizes. I was, I was thinking you were getting like a, matching shirts or something like that. My wife was like, no, 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 it's getting pajamas. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> she knew. Yeah, they're, they're cool. They're definitely California though, because it's like uh, the marketing messaging on them was like breezy during the summer and warm for the winter. It's like, they're not warm enough for the winter here, <laughs> but they're super comfy. Yeah, they're they're nice. Uh, kids wear them all the time and I'm wearing them as well going to bed. So it's cool. That's we awesome. all match. Heck yeah. So yeah, so I think that, you know, you can really give your fans and this by the way the reason that i'm talking about this isn't so that i can reflect on this one little thing that i did this week it's in the grand scheme of things maybe that person is going to back every game that i make from now on and maybe they'll be a fan just because of the one thing we did but that's one person and we had th thousands of backers so what i wanted to talk about is how to scale delighting your fans and what to do really, I think, you know, wise moves to make what, when you're leading up to your Kickstarter, things that we did that, that really worked very well and things that I think are really meaningful. Let me start off by saying when you're able to delight one single fan in a way that is meaningful, that could make a difference in, in the thousands of dollars um, to your Kickstarter campaign. I had fans that were really excited that talked to like major, very 
famous influencers that blasted our our campaign and other things like that. You know, I got connected with uh, Dallas Jenkins of The Chosen. He shared our project to, you know, when our Kickstarter was live. And that was just because we had one fan of the game that I, you know, talked back and forth with. And then they just casually mentioned, oh yeah, I, I work for The Chosen. And, you know, we have a lot of tabletop gamers in The Chosen staff. And uh, I was like, dude, tell Dallas about the game. And he did. So, and someone also connected you with Kyle Mann, didn't he, from Babylon B? Yeah, yep, that's true. And they invited us right to the onto the podcast. I mean, we made a significant. I mean, that was a huge, huge moment for our Kickstarter as well because they get thirty to fifty thousand people downloading a podcast episode. And um, I mean, there are, there are a lot of different ways that you can delight fans, but I thought. You know, one of the, um, so I, people always ask me about giveaways, giveaways, you know, this is kind of like tangent or rather moving to the next little thing, but giveaways, a lot of people try to get people onto their email list with a giveaway. They'll give, you know, a, a different game, maybe because there isn't, isn't printed yet. If it's before their Kickstarter, they'll, they'll do a giveaway of their game and they're hoping to get people or maybe a pledge level if they're going to Kickstarter and um, they're trying to get people onto their email list so that they can hopefully sell, you know, convince them on the idea and the awesomeness of their game so that those people looking for a giveaway would potentially just back. The other reason you might use a giveaway, an external giveaway, I call it, is so that you can get traffic to your Kickstarter. And, you know, we know that more traffic, more engagement, even if it's not resulting in sales, actually does move the needle a little bit on Kickstarter and or places like BoardGameGeek, um, you know, more traffic there will help your project increase in the hotness list. So, um, so anyway, internal giveaways are so underutilized. I think internal giveaways really can delight your fans. One of the most common things, and actually I'm doing this now for my hardcore fans of Deliverance, I, every single convention I've ever gone to, except for probably the most any convention I've ever had a booth at, rather, I have given a ticket and a hotel stay to and and a meal to a uh, to one fan that wins a contest. And uh, in every case, they've always taken me up on the offer. They've driven to the convention or whatever, you know. And I make it clear that they have to provide their own travel there. Some people need to buy a plane ticket. Other people need to drive, and that might change who actually wants to enter into the contest. You know. But um, running a giveaway exclusively for my existing fans and saying, I value you guys, and that's why this giveaway is only for you, that is going to really endear them. And it's going to get, I mean, they're excited. They want to meet me. They want to meet my team. They want to play the game. They'd love to do it all at a convention, which is a ton of fun. And so running giveaways like that have been very effective for me. Every single person that I've ever brought to a convention, um, they every single one of them, they all backed the game. They all were some of my biggest uh, marketing sources. They always in- engage. They are constantly, you know, being very active on social media. They're telling their personal networks about it. Every single one of these people have sold like five games or more of, of Deliverance just because they were very excited. And, and I think that's so, key. Yeah. Just to backtrack a little bit to giveaways, 
I think that people have this temptation or desire to fill their list with as many people as possible. And we also, also see this with ads when, when we run ads for Kickstarter hopefuls, they focus on the wrong key performance indicator and they try to optimize the amount of people on their list. Let's like their ads will be doing well. Got a good click through rate, got a good conversion rate. Oh, make it cheaper. Let's make it cheaper. Let's keep on pushing the boundaries. And you can, but the, the danger is, is that you start leading into realms where you're reaching people who aren't as qualified. And I think the danger with with that focusing on the wrong KPI, just focusing on numbers, is that you fail to recognize that the people on your list are actually people. And they have they have different qualities. They're not all the same. You know, one lead here can, is not going to be the same as another lead over there. And the lead over here is a person. And if you invest in getting them excited about your project of your game, they're going to be worth a hundred people on your email list. Because as you said, they're going to tell their friends, they're going to share, they're going to volunteer. They're going to tell everyone they know. That's how you need to think. That's the, that's the KPI. Your KPI needs to be how engaged, how excited are the super fans in my community? Because they ultimately are my marketing team. Yeah. Not, not next level web, not, not the crowdfunding nerds. My fans are my marketing team. Definitely. And that's, I, I think that's such a, such a wise thing that you said, you know, in, at the end of the day, we, our job for our clients is to bring the horse to water, but your job is to make them drink. And we can't really do that. It's, you know, one of the reasons why we can't tell you how well our marketing is going to do for your particular project, because it's all about how, number one, how the market, you know, takes your idea. If you have a dragon on the cover, it's going to be easier to get emails on your list probably, right? Or if it's like a zombie theme or whatever, then it'll just be easier to, to get names on the list. But, you know, how they convert is based on, of course, the quality of the product, but also if, um, you know, they're more likely to convert if you endure yourselves to, to your fans and if they're, they're really excited. Now, there, there are a bunch of different ways to delight fans. And we're talking about, it's not just about, I, I used your idea, you know, now you're going to back my game and that's delightful. A major thing that is so critical, I don't want to minimize this. It's just like so important. Fan bases are built around good products. The game itself needs to be high quality. If you, you know, are delighting fans, they might really like you, but the product needs to really match their level of enthusiasm. I mean, it just needs to be a great product on its own so that they can be excited about the product too. And I think that um, one of the personal lessons that I take for myself is I try to be a fan and geek out with my fans about my stuff. The, a lot of us, you know, when, when I'm like, hey, who's your target market? They're like, oh, uh, you know, I'm not sure anyone that likes games. But in actuality, what who they're designing the game for are people like them. The designer designs games for people like themselves. And there are a lot of people that feel the way you feel about the product that you're making. Why are you making the product you're making? Because you see either a hole in the market, you have a theme that you're really excited about, or maybe some mechanical interaction that you really want to build a game around because it's crunchy and fun and interesting. There are other people like that too. And if you make a very good version of whatever it is, you are going to have fans that are excited about it, but also you yourself should be a fan of your project as well. I've playtested Deliverance 
hundreds of times, maybe even maybe approaching a thousand games um, over the years. And I really love playing Deliverance a lot. It's so fun. I just my heart beats fast when when I'm about to die or whatever, and it's just ex- extremely entertaining. And I I really like sharing that with my fans, and I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, we actually see this within your community because when you're excited, they're excited, and when you're telling your friends, they're telling their friends. Shout out to Jasper Birch of Pine Island Games. He recently did a blog where he polled his Kickstarter backers and asked them how did they hear about him. And he broke this up between external traffic and Kickstarter traffic. And when we focus on the external traffic, the majority of people said that they found him through community groups, Reddit, Facebook. So this gave me that idea to poll the deliverance community. And lo and behold, now it probably doesn't help that we're doing this on Facebook. Obviously, there's lots of people on Facebook who interact in groups. 36% of the Deliverance fans heard about Deliverance through another Facebook group. So whether that was through Andrew doing organic marketing in that group or whether it was someone else, a a fan sharing Deliverance in a group, that's how they heard about it. Um, So some of these things you can't really track, but they do have an impact. And if you focus on people, because at the end of the day, behind the screen, behind that number is an actual person with emotions, with desires, with passion. And if you can get them hyped, they're going to tell their friends on these groups. And we see this in in the data. We see this and we can't directly track it, but clearly it has an impact and it it does give your project longevity. Yeah. And, you know, uh, tabletop games, there was a, you know, long held belief that tabletop games the marketing is done in the dining room of your home. You know, as you, you know, you bring somebody in and play a game, they like the game, they buy a copy and play with friends that you may, you might not be mutual friends. Uh, so they're going to play with a different group and, you know, one or two people in that group really like it and it spreads that way. And others hear about it on social media and see screenshots or, or I mean, uh, like pictures that you take and other things. And, it just kind of spreads in a manner that is out of your control. And that's really kind of what we want to, what we want to do with marketing is we want to build uh, our philosophy, at least is that we want to build a, a seed of, of emails and people and uh, community that will reach critical mass on day one of your Kickstarter campaign. So, you know, if you have a thousand emails and you go to Kickstarter and you fund on the first day, then your campaign is likely to reach three to 500% of whatever it is that you, you know, that your funding goal was assuming it was a realistic funding goal or, you know, and in deliverance's case, it was uh, 800%. And it's kind of an interesting thing because after we reached, uh, you know, we hit $141,000 on the first day and a lot of people were just ready to, to jump in. And we got a lot of attention because of that. And, there were people during the middle of the campaign, during what you know we call the mid-campaign slump, there were a lot of people that were telling me, yeah, I've convinced like three of my small group members to buy the game and I'm working on the last guy, the last guy that plays tabletop games. I'm working on him, trying to get him to back the game. And I just thought that it was so funny that they were, I mean, they're just doing what they can to help and they're super excited. And I am not connected with those people in that person's little small group, but they are. 
And if I can make that one person excited, they're going to do the other half of the marketing for me and they're going to reach more people. And that's really what I think we aim to do as a company with this whole virtuous cycle concept is you build a, a list of engaged fans and those fans act as 50% of your marketing. I was actually talking it was a while ago, it was Gamma 2020. It was like the last convention before everything shut down. This is in March, 2020. And I went to Gamma and I talked to Robert Geislinger, who we should probably have on our podcast. He's now the chief marketing officer, or maybe the chief operations officer over at Arcane Wonders. And he was fresh off the heels of his $1.2 million Foundations of Rome campaign. And we were talking and I was asking him, you know, cause this was really like at the very start of, of me doing marketing for tabletop games. You know, I had been doing it for about six months and I asked him because he was very successful. How did you do 1.2 million? And he said, basically that you build fans. And then during your Kickstarter, your fans do half of your marketing. And that's the way that you do it, you know, review yeah. videos and other things like that. But it's really all about the fans. And so um, I think that's, uh, you know, they're very important. You know, one related or, or uh, to kind of compound on this, I think it's very important to involve your fans in the process of your game and to listen to their feedback and, and that sort of thing. You know, many times in, uh, you know, the in the past with Deliverance. Deliverance is a very art heavy game. I would show people a, an art piece that was like, hey, this is a finished art piece of, of a character. And they would say, oh, it needs a, it really, really needs this or it needs that. And it was sometimes frustrating to me because that meant more money or, you know, really more time and all of the things that I kind of wanted to move on to the next character. But it's like, okay, I think that they're kind of right. So I, I listened to that feedback, I made the changes, and then I gave them, you know, I shared in our Facebook community, the updated image. And a lot of the time that got people really excited. They felt heard over time do, doing things like that. A lot of the time they were just like, yeah, this is fantastic. This is amazing. I would show them like a sketch. And they would say, oh, I really want it to see this. And then I already had like the next iteration that was colorized, but I just showed the sketch first. I'm like, okay, I'll think about that feedback and then show them the colorized version. And they're like, wow, this is way cool. I can't wait to see where this concept goes, where they had like, you know, critical feedback to give on the sketch. So Andrew, uh, what yeah. tips would you have for people who are starting off and let's say they've got 20 people in their Facebook group and there isn't a whole lot of activity there. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is, you know, I mean, the people that are in your Facebook group, hopefully they joined because they were interested in the actual product. Um, a lot of the time, the reason that there's not activity is because there's no activity. It sounds circular and redundant, but if let's say you start running ads to a Facebook group or to uh, sorry, you run ads to your landing page. The landing page spits the email out. That's like, Hey, welcome. By the way, here's our Facebook community. And people start joining that. As soon as one person asks a question, other people will like that post respond and, and you respond. And as that perpetuates, those people that really weren't very active are going to all, all of a sudden they'll wake up and they'll get active. So that's one, um, expansion or uh what 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 do you want to call it the um uh the 
momentum, people notice momentum and engagement. People, you know, get involved and engage when there's more engagement, it starts to really build. And so that's one big thing. So and I think if, the, the key as well is to build your community where the people are yep. and not try to build it on like your own website somewhere. If people are on Facebook, people are on YouTube, people are on Discord, yeah. and that's where you need to grow your community where the people are. Yeah. I, I think that things like, you know, I've seen companies, they're like, oh yeah, we have forums and, you know, on our website where you can ask questions and get involved. That type of thing is just not the way to do it anymore. It used to be back in like the nineties and, and like, you know, early to mid two thousands, um, you would have, you know, boards and forums that people would, would join in and board game geek is one of those. It's just a dominant one that all the board gamers use, or, you know, a, a good chunk of board gamers use. Who have been using it for so long, they're not going to change. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, why try to reinvent the wheel and create your own community forums on your own website when there are already a large set of community forums on this site that you could leverage? You can create your own kind of page there with your own set of form, you know, forums and whatnot. So that's, that's, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You want to build where the people are and you want to adapt with the times, right? Um, one of the things that I, find, you know, we're constantly addressing in one way or another, at least is why should I have an email list at all? Why shouldn't I just like, create a Facebook group? And you should create a Facebook group, especially if you use Facebook, it's going to be where probably the vast majority of your communication is. If, if you use that platform all the time, you'll be a lot more comfortable if your communication's there. But if you have a Facebook group and Facebook kind of loses favor with people, you know, right now it's popular, but who's to say that two, three years from now, will it will be as popular you're, that's why you need an email list so that, you know, I was able to populate my discord server with 400 people very, very quickly because or it was like 300 people very, very quickly because I had an email list of, you know, it was like 2000 people at the time. And, um, I, you know, said stuff in face on, on my Facebook group and I said stuff in my email list, but it was just one of those things that the fact that I had the email list, I must've had like 20 people from Facebook come over and I had like 280 come over from my email list. It was just a huge, huge difference. So, you know, the email list spans the, the trends. I think I have a Kickstarter update that I give every single without fail from the, the time we finished our project. I told people to expect an update at the end of every month, the last day of every month, you're going to get an update. And they do every single month. And there are people that expect the update on, you know, on the hour people are waiting, you know, and it's like, you know, I can't wait. I'm refreshing my page. You know, people say that being like doing what you say really matters um, to delighting fans. People can get salty and that kind of thing. And I get it. You know, I have one guy that trolls me on the regular about like stealing money from the poor because I had to raise my shipping prices. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, you know, people are going to have their, are going to want to input their two cents, but, but just make sure that whenever you get trolled, it's because that person is unreasonable and not because you were an idiot. I mean, it's kind of jumping back to, to a statement that you mentioned earlier, you mentioned volunteers. That is a really, really great way to go. You, when you need help at a convention, get somebody from your Facebook group that's going to the convention and, 
ask them to help, you know, or just ask in, in general, like from your community, is anybody going to Gen Con or Origins or whatever convention you're going to? And the people will say yes. And then you can ask them, would you like to help? And a lot of the time people will. People are very excited to to help in a board game booth. And uh, there are people that, that look for opportunities to do things like that. And you reward them with a free ticket and, you know, free swag if you've got it and whatever. But that type of thing is, is really helpful. It, it definitely delights and endears fans. You can endear small reviewers to you and uh, things like that. I think that it's a, a very big deal. You have any thoughts yeah, I, about that? Yeah, finding, I think finding special way to, ways to thank people. Uh, I know that we we ran like Deliverance Con. We had like a tournament, and we gave people titles for f- you know finishing the game in the hardest difficulty. So that's just like another un- unique way of engaging the community. Putting people uh, like names in the rule book is like special thanks for maybe community members who are particularly helpful or engaging. These little things can go a long way because it, it shows that you care. It shows you that you appreciate these people that you're paying attention. That's not going unnoticed. And I think that's really going to endear people to you, to your cause, to your product, and make them stick with you through thick and thin. Yeah, absolutely. Your first project, when it finishes, you have your next project. And if you did a good job endearing fans, even in small ways, like the rule book, for example, I had a buddy of mine from um, Seattle area. Uh, his name is Brian, and he's helped me. Uh, we, I went to actually, I, I, I decide what conventions I go to based on what conventions my fans ask me to go to. And, um, I don't, yeah. So I haven't been to Gen Con, even though I've had fans there, I haven't been to origins, even though I've had fans there, I've had games that have gone with my playtesters to those places so that people can play those games. Uh, but I try to get to conventions that my fans are at one of those was NorwestCon up in Seattle. I flew up to Seattle and went to NorwestCon and met a guy named Brian. He ended up becoming a playtester for me and was super, because he was super excited. I, I mean, we kind of were talking about him being a playtester and I went up there and did a three-day convention and met him and played a game or two with him and another guy named Donnie. And Brian took a copy of Deliverance to Gen Con and played like six different games. Like or we organized like six games that were all completely filled with uh, people. When I, I wasn't going to Gen Con, uh, I think I was I had a child or something like that. My wife was like 38 or 39 weeks pregnant, you know? So there's no way I was going to be able to go, but he did. And he, you know, there was a guy named Jamie Jameson that, um, that helped me to co-design the solo mode of Deliverance. And was another huge playtester that got to actually see the game for the very first time at Gen Con. And so it was, you know, just little things like that role. But I think putting time in to that one person, what, you know, really had a dramatic effect. And then Brian goes in and becomes an angel investor on the Kickstarter campaign. And, um, you know, for like 750 bucks. I mean, there's the plane ticket right there. And then some. I think plane ticket was like $250 at the time. Now it's like over 9,000 because <laughs> gas prices, I don't know. But yeah, so just little things like that really do add up and taking advantage of every opportunity, making the most of every opportunity rather, that's going to, it just makes 
a big difference, um, in, you know, in the end. So we've developed a, a Kickstarter course and we've unco- we uncover in this course everything that we do to get people to fund on day one. And our hope with this course is to help people who might not be able to afford a marketing agency, but want to try their hand at marketing. And we talk about the minutia of running Facebook ads and setting up a pixel, but we do devote a large part of the course to this very topic because it's so important, engaging your community and making sure that you're doing all you can to treat people like people. Make sure to sign up to our email list, include a link in the show notes, and that way you can get notified as soon as this course is out. I think it's really going to benefit you guys because uh, if you like our podcast, it's gonna it's just a deeper dive of what we already cover in our podcast in a way that we can't really cover on the podcast because, well, we, we need can't video. share a screen on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I think and, that uh, what I'll say for for my part, as you know, I, I go over Sean is the mastermind behind actually putting the video together because uh, he's got he's actually got a degree in in videography and film, right? Of, of some kind. Yeah. And, you know, I've been, uh, reviewing each of these things. I, I do a little bit of an introduction to each element. And then Sean, you know, I kind of talk about the most important takeaways of what you're going to learn in that particular section and other information that, that you would really want to know in this kind of a deeper dive in each section, honestly, a deeper dive than we can really do on this podcast, because when, Sean's segments of each um, of each topical. We we divide the the course into different sections, and Sean is actually able to show or share his screen, and you can see what he's doing. We we go over the boring stuff like how to set up your Facebook Pixel correctly, which a lot of people get wrong. And you know, if you can't turn data into actionable information, then you should probably not even pay for ads uh, because you don't know what's working. And then he goes into like actually building audiences and you get to see built like the actual methodology that we use to build the audiences, to build the ads and other really serious needle moving points like that. Can't really do that on, on a podcast, certainly. Yeah. We don't hold anything back. It's very much like the podcast where we, we don't hold anything back. It's the same with this course. It's just a, a deeper dive into what we do in a way that we can't really do on the podcast. Yeah. And like Sean said, it's very, the whole purpose of the course was to make it accessible to people that couldn't really afford us. That was the whole reason for our podcast is that, Hey, we want this information to just get out there so that it, it exists and people can obtain it. And, um, you know, it's, it's free to listen to this podcast and the course while we can't make it free because it has to get hosted and there's a lot of effort that went into it and whatnot. Um, it's certainly going to be a lot cheaper than hiring us as a marketing agency. If that's just not in the cards for you. So it's our effort to be as helpful as possible to as many people as possible that are really trying to make their dreams happen. And I'm sure if you wanted a free copy so that you could review it, I'm sure we could have, we could organize something like that. So if you're interested in something like that, then in contact with us yeah hit us up on our crowdfunding nerds community on facebook it's probably the best way to to get into contact but yeah i think that it would be really smart to have a few people uh preview the course and give us feedback so, yeah great review idea, it. tell us why why we should select you <laughs> yes well that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds 
For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.